Hello, I'm David English, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Profiles in Stewardship, where my dad, Bill English, has conversations with business owners about how they integrate their role as a business owner and leader with their faith in Jesus Christ. Today, Bill is talking with Abe Degnan, owner of Degnan Design, Build and Remodel in DeForest, Wisconsin. In this episode, Abe and Bill talk about a range of issues that Christian business owners face. If you want to hear about how a mature, successful Christian business owner uses his business and his life to glorify God, then this Profiles in Stewardship episode is for you. So grab a Coke, sit back, and listen as Bill and Abe talk about what it really means to be a Christian business owner. Now here's my dad, Bill English. Thank you, David. I'm Bill English, the publisher here at Bible and Business, and I want to thank you for joining us today. And in this episode, we're going to be talking with Abe Degnan, who is the owner of Degnan Design, Build, and Remodel in DeForest, Wisconsin. Abe grew up in the remodeling and the construction business, working alongside his father in the workshop and on job sites. He graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee with degrees in architecture and urban planning. And he has earned postgraduate certificates in remodeling and building and um, uh, remaining in place. I, I must have said that wrong. I'll check with you in just a moment, Abe, on that. All of them from the National Association of the Home Builders. Abe and his wife, Lisa, have six children, both through natural birth and adoption. And he is the past president of the Wisconsin Builders Association, the Madison Area Builders Association, and has received numerous awards for his work in remodeling and service in the Madison area. But more importantly than any of that, Abe is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he is here today to talk about integrating his faith into his work and his business. So Abe, I want to welcome you to the Bible and Business broadcast. How are you doing? doing great, Bill. <clears throat> it's great to be here this morning. Thank you. So what was the one certificate I, I, I messed up there? <laughs> uh, that one was the Certified Aging in Place Specialist. And it is, um, it is you know, it, it, it's oriented around universal design, around um, accessibility, it's specifically about um, helping uh, people age in their home as they're growing older and their abilities are changing. But it's very applicable across a broad range of things. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, I, for some reason, I, I meant to write aging, and in my text, I wrote the word gaining, gaining in place. So you have you have a certificate now. I'm, I've anointed you with the gaining in place of whatever that means. Well, thank you. So, like I said, this is unscripted, right? This is just, this is totally unscripted. So here we go. Abe, let's, let's start out, um, and let's, uh, let's take a look at um, stewardship, right? And so, you know, Bible and business, and this series is all about how we integrate our faith into our role as a business owner. And so what scriptures, uh, as, as you think about your role as a really a steward of Jesus Christ and all that he's given you, um, what scriptures are meaningful, meaningful to you when it comes to integrating your faith with your role as a business owner? Well, there's uh, there's a verse that's had meaning for me for a long time, and and it's one that we need to be careful about. Um, and so I look at Luke uh, chapter twelve, uh, verses forty seven and forty eight, and in the NIV it says, "The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows." That's a that's a pretty stern warning right there, right? But yeah. verse forty eight goes on to say, "But the one who does not know and does not." and does things deserving let's, let's say that again the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows uh because they don't know yet and here's the part of that verse that most of us know this is the part that most of us know for everyone who has been given much much will be demanded and from the one who has been entrusted with much even more will be asked and you know and so it's interesting because you need to read that verse with humility. You need to make sure it's not done with arrogance, but you also need to take in the, f the full context of the verse in order to appreciate everything it says, don't you? Yeah, you really do. And what it says is that um, the more light you have from the Lord, uh, the more responsibility you have to follow it. 
Absolutely. And, and so this speaks about the totality of our life. Um, but like many Bible verses, we can attribute, you know, multiple meanings and multiple layers of meaning to it. And I think that as business owners um, and as as people who maybe have um, some means or at least have more means than other people have with regard to money and wealth, and maybe even with regard to our ability to influence people and our ability to to create things things, um, that part about uh, who has been given much, much will be expected, has very personal meaning for us, um, and we need to use it, And we, but we need to use it uh, with, with obedience and humility and not with arrogance. Yeah, you know, most of mo- I, I think you're really onto something here, Abe, and I want to unpack this a little bit because a lot of people are going to look at this and just and say, well, to whom much is given, I think much is required. I don't know if that's the ESV. I have my logos up here, by the way. If you don't have logos, you need to get logos. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, anyways, to whom much is given, much is required or much is demanded. Most people yeah. look at that in the financial sense. You got a lot of money. Therefore, you owe a lot back to society. You owe a lot back to um, to the, the the people who have less than what you have, right? Uh, so, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, but you mentioned creativity. You mentioned influence, uh, and there's probably two or three other layers we could unpack here in terms of our roles as business owners. We have a platform that not a lot of people have. I don't know if you know this, and I'll, 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 I'll stop talking in a minute. There's only 6 million businesses in the United States, and only 18,000 of them have 500 or more employees. 5.8 million of them have 100 or less employees. And out of those 5.8 million, I estimate, I guesstimate, there's 2 million of them that are Christians, and the rest are, are not believers. And of those 2 million... What is our influence really? What's the platform that we have individually, but what's also the platform that we have corporately? So maybe maybe talk about the influence, the the ability to create and and other things like that as you unpack this first. Well, so, you know, we, we have a lot of influence. We have influence in a lot of different ways. We have the influence on um, on our clients. We have the influence on our uh, employees. We have the influence on our, our vendors and subcontractors. Um, and we have influence through our marketing and advertising. So um, mm-hmm. it, we have all those different routes and channels um, and the uh, the opportunity and ability to, to, um, to speak. I mean, we see it all over over the place we see it with the secular businesses throwing stuff at us mm-hmm. all the time so how do we as christians uh do the same thing in a way that uh that is endearing to the rest of the world and makes people want to know more about jesus yeah you know over a faith radio carmen and i have talked uh several times about this notion of what is called brand promise how there's an increasing a segment of, of our society that wants the people or the, or the corporations that they buy products from to have the same political beliefs that they have. And so when you think about our, our, our platform as business owners, um, how do you look at, um, I, I, I really don't care what your political beliefs are, but how do you look at, at that notion that, and, and an increasing number of your customers might choose you or reject you because of your political or religious beliefs versus just the quality services that you offer. Well, you know, we're going to try to be apolitical, um, frankly. Um, <clears throat> it, it, I, I guess if I can be if I can be endearing and if I can be endearing and promote Christ um, without and find a way to do that while while attracting as many people as possible and pushing as few people away as possible. Mm-hmm. And and I have half the people wondering if I'm one way and half the people wondering if I'm another way and the, the people closest to me wondering why they think I'm a lot like them, but not quite like them, then I think I'm doing my job um, uh, because, because 
I think there's certain non-negotiables, and I have several non-negotiables about about what I uh, who who I will or will not vote for. Um, but but when it comes to the totality of things, um, the, the neither of the primary parties truly represent. Um, uh, what I, I, the way that I think that Christianity and Jesus would truly represent um, in a perfect world. Yeah, you know, I'm 100% in agreement with you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Christianity doesn't fit neatly into either the liberal or the conservative camp. Both camps have flavors of different parts of Christianity that they emphasize. I don't think for religious reasons, they just do. Uh, yeah. But I have... Uh, you know, I grew up in one camp, but I have now learned that um, that I'm my allegiance is first to Jesus Christ, and I'm pro church before I'm pro Republican or pro Democrat or even pro any candidate. So yeah, yeah. But our society is going to increasingly push guys like you and me and gals also who own businesses to take political stands and to have and to basically publish political beliefs before they'll do business with us. And I think that that will be one of the areas of persecution that uh, Christian business owners might face down the road. And, and, you know, and so far, um, I suppose what I would try to do is redirect the conversation um, yeah. in a way that in a way that serves my purposes. I will answer the questions that I want. I'm going to answer some questions that they didn't ask me, and I'm going to ignore other things um, and continue to ignore other things as long as possible, um, and and uh, and hope that hope that the fairness um, and attitude uh, that I display will will win someone over um, even if yeah. uh, even if they would have a political or a party type disagreement with me yeah you know it, it's more important that people come to Jesus Christ than it is that they join a particular political party it really is right and we need uh, we need strong Christians in both parties not just one party or the other so yes. we're talking today with uh, Abe uh, Degnan who is the owner of Degnan design remodel and no design build and remodel sorry i might have gotten that wrong uh here on this bible and business uh, profiles and stewardship uh broadcast uh i'm giving away several copies of my book the kindle version uh of a christian theology of business ownership all you have to do is just text the word book to 763-458-3722. That's 763-458-3722 for your chance to win a copy of the book. Be sure to include your name and where you live because we'd like to announce that uh, at the close of the broadcast. And, uh, and thank you for joining us today. So let's shift gears here, Abe, for just a moment and maybe talk about something that's another little bit controversial, I guess. Let's talk about profits. Uh, in many parts of our society, profits are considered a bad thing. If you have too much profit, it means you've probably oppressed your employees somehow. And the conventional wisdom is that owners who make a lot of money have an obligation to share their profits back to their employees or to share it with the uh, with uh, through uh, philanthropy civically. And so I'm, I'm just curious, how do you view profits in light of your faith in Jesus Christ? What do you think the Bible has to say about prophets and so forth? I'll just kind of let you do a stream of thought here for a few minutes. Yeah, sure. So um, so I think that, first of all, uh, I, I will say that I'm a capitalist. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start unabashedly mm -hmm. with that. I'm a capitalist and I'm a Christian. Um, and, and I think that um, with philanthropy, uh, it's important to give people donations uh, for certain things for certain amounts of time, but if you if if you just give money, give money, give money, give money um, to people at, without requesting anything in return, they will stay stuck where they're at. And our mission mm -hmm. in life should be to never leave people stuck. As Christians, we should not remain stuck. We should not remain stuck in our sins. We should know that we're forgiven, um, and we should and we should know that we are not capable of 
achieving heaven on our own. We don't earn heaven. We don't earn salvation. But mm-hmm. if all we do is recognize, hey, Jesus died for my sins and um, and I'm forgiven, but then we remain stuck in our sins, does that do any earthly good? Certainly no. not. And d- does it do no. any heavenly good either? Uh, it, 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 will, it will wear you down. Um, so the same thing goes with regard to philanthropy, right? Because because you want to lift people up into something where they can achieve on their own. So as as a capitalist and and um, uh, you know I don't know if I earn the title of philanthropist yet, um, you know in you know our society, but I want people to have jobs. I want people to work. I want people to do things with their life so that they are rewarded. They're intrinsically rewarded. They're financially Mm -hmm. rewarded. They're earning what they are uh, doing and they're able to provide for themselves, provide for their families. They're able to do things with the money that they earn uh, Mm -hmm. and they're doing something the way that we all want to because it makes us feel good. We feel good about earning money and having a job and achieving things rather than just being given something. And, And I definitely want to promote that. You know, work is a gift from God. Uh, our our society puts up a value of leisure over work. Well, in one sense, in another sense, yeah. they put work as a as another god that that you can devote yourselves to. But um, work is a gift from God, and it gives us dignity and purpose. There was work, as you know, I'm sure you know this, uh, before the fall, before there was sin in the world, there was still right. work. And yep. I think uh, I think after all this is said and done in eternity, we'll still be working, but it'll be such a pleasure and we won't have any uh, curses on our work and it'll, it'll just be such a wonderful thing. So um, I'm actually looking forward to it because I, I enjoy working. I, I enjoy, I'm, you're, you're probably, you and I are probably cut from the same cloth. We enjoy getting up in the morning and going to work. Yeah, I do. I do. Yep. And, and, uh, and I've worked to have balance in that too, because I've been on the other side of it where, mm-hmm. where I was a workaholic and that, that I spent too much time at work and I didn't have, uh, I didn't want downtime. I felt that, um, that I was being lazy if I took downtime and recreation and things like that, or if I just sat and watched a TV show, you know? Um, and, and so there is that balance. Um, but, but what, you know, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? And, and, and work is good. Work in the end is good. And, and there's plenty of Proverbs that tell us about uh, that too. Sure. Sure. Well, so for those who are watching, if you want to interact or ask a question, you can always enter uh, a comment uh, uh, either in the Facebook, the LinkedIn or the, um, or the other Facebook group. I, I didn't realize I pushed this to two groups, uh, but uh, you're always welcome to enter a comment. It'll show back up here in our chat, and then and then we can uh, interact with Abe that way. And just remember, I'm giving away a copy of my book, A Christian Theology of Business Ownership, giving away several copies for your chance to win. Just text uh, the word book to 763-458-3722. Be sure to include your name in the city where you live. Uh, I'd, I'd like to announce the winners uh, at the end of the uh, broadcast here. So let's let's talk a little bit more about profits here, um, Abe. Um, yep. Where do you think a Christian business owner would go to say to answer the question: A, are profits biblical? And I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here, and I realize that, and so yep. you and I can dialogue if nothing else. And B. How much profit is too much profit? Oh, you know, that, the, great, the second one's a tough one. I know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the great thing is, the great thing is, I don't know that the Bible addresses that second question at all. Although I know that you've talked about it in, in your book um, in certain ways about, about planning for the future. Um, and about about you know saving enough and then giving away and creating you know the the thing is it's it's interesting because there's we the whole the whole thing is that by spending our money we create jobs for other people when other people have jobs right. then they spend their money 
which then gives a job to another person, another, another, another. So, so when when you're using your 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 philanthropic money um, in a way that helps create and create more, um, you know the the luxury buildings, the high rises, the the um, the thousand dollar a square foot things that are out there, you know that are that are three, four, five times as expensive as everything else. Is that a good use of money? Is that too much profit? Is is the is the company who built that thing earning too much profit? Well, you know what? If that profit then allows that you know somebody made that profit, which allowed them to spend that luxury money, and then somebody built whatever that structure is, uh, and and did that, uh, and so then that person has money. So now let's say that person goes and buys a boat. All the people who built that boat, they have jobs because of it. Um, the salesman who sold that boat has a job. The the marina where that boat is kept and maintained, there's jobs there. So so there's things all over the place. You look at how this goes. You look at how it goes and and spending your money is actually is actually what is meant to be done with things. Hoarding the money and doing nothing with it is where is where then um, is where then I think that um, and it goes back to our first verse uh, and and risks being sinful to hoard your money and to just mm-hmm. build up massive, massive amounts of it rather than spending it and using it to help and support things and create other jobs. Yeah, no, you're, you're precisely right. I remember back in the eighties when Congress passed the luxury tax on yachts and the only people that got hurt on that were the people who were making yachts. The, yes. the average, average guy and gal on the line lost their job. Uh, but no. the rich didn't get hurt. They just bought the yachts overseas. Um, yeah, right, right. You know, you know, they had they had the ability to go across uh, uh, national lines, borders, so to speak. And so um, there is a sense in which uh, you need the rich in order to create jobs for the middle class and the poor. Um, I've never been offered a job by a poor man. I've only been right. offered a job by a rich man. And, right. uh, uh, now, but back to the question, where would we oh, go where here's where I would go and, okay. and you try this on for size and, and kind of tell me what you think. I would go to the, the parable of the 10, five and two talents in Matthew 25, where, mm-hmm. where the master gives each, you know, of his three servants, one, five talents, one, two, and one, one. And he says, go out and make some money. And it comes back later. And the first servant made took five talents and turned it into 10. The second took two and turned it into four. And the third one, as you know, didn't do anything with it. And we won't talk about him. The, my point is, is that in, in that entire parable, never are the prophets themselves, 100% prophets, never are the yep. prophets themselves um, seen as evil or wrong or unrighteous or anything like that. But what God gave them as their reward was not more money, which is the the prosperity gospel today that I think is so damaging to Christianity. He gave them more of his presence. He gave them more of time with him. And, uh, but that's where I think you go to, to, that's one of the places you can go to say, Hey, no matter how much profits you make, um, it, it, it can be a good thing. It's really on how it's used. And so I th- I caught two things about that. So number one, actually, that that the one talent servant is in reality the servant who hoarded his money. Um, he didn't yes. have the most, but he hoarded it uh, because he buried yeah. it in the ground. But number two, um, like you said, the the reward the reward was I think the reward was twofold. They got more responsibility, but they got a closer relationship with their master, as you said, more time with their master. And and you know, as a business grows, as long as you don't live in that workaholic lifestyle and mindset anymore, um, that is actually one of the things that we get is more time as we begin to delegate the things that we used to do to, to the other people that are in our, our company and grow those people into their roles, um, we get more time. And that time can be used um, uh, many different ways. And, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned, um, you know, even watching TV, but um, the amount of time that we have to spend with Jesus, to spend at 
church to volunteer, um, to, to, to be in prayer or to be in the Bible. All those things, um, we no longer have the same pressure bearing down on us because we have used our money to buy some time. You know, um, I want to um, just use that as a bridge to talk about people and developing people now for a little bit, because it just seems to me, I, the question that came into my mind while you were speaking was, do we as Christian business owners, is there a model there that those in our company who are responsible for really driving profit, uh, should they get more of our time? Should they be rewarded with more responsibility and that kind of thing? I don't know. This is just popped into my mind. What are your thoughts on that? Well, let's see here. So, so one of my philosophies is that, is that, you know, just as, as I want to, feel good about the job I do and I want to be rewarded um, by by doing the best that I can. That's what most of the people, almost everybody that works for you, that's what they want. They want to, they want to do good. They want to do good work. They want to be proud of what they do and they want yeah. to be thanked yeah. for what they do, both by both by those around them at work and by mm-hmm. um, the, the clients, the end users um, as well. And so they want to see that. So, so growing those people um, so that they can, that they can get that benefit, get that, that heartfelt reward and have that um, meaning in their life is a big Mm -hmm. deal. So time, how does that relate to time then was your question that does relate to time um, with, with the owner in some respects, but also you need to make sure as the owner that as you lift people up and delegate them and they mm-hmm. get the responsibility that you don't jump around them and undermine them uh, either. Oh, so, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I've got 14 people in my company right now. And, and so I have enough people that I, I have, you know, legitimate department and, and uh, you know, department heads and, uh, and, uh, and a, an org chart that finally works. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, and, but also I'm at the point where I can still have a personal relationship and um, each month do a one-on-one appointment um, with, with each and every person in my company. Um, you know, so, so there, so I'm, I'm at that hybrid point where I want my managers to do the work that belongs to them. And I need to be careful in my one-on-ones that I don't ever undermine, um, the, the, the supervisor of the, uh, employee I'm talking to, uh, but that, but that they, uh, they do know that I care about them, uh, each and every one individually. Yeah. You know, owners staying in their swim lane, is really hard. I, you know, I've consulted with a lot of owners and as a business grows, owners roles necessarily have to become more focused and more narrow Uh, because if they, they all want top talent, but when you hire top talent, guess what top talent wants to do? They want to lead. They want to produce. They want to tell the owner, get out of my way. Don't tell me what to do. I'll go out and, you know, give me the goals and I'll go accomplish them. That's what top talent does. And I've seen more business owners just lack the intestinal fortitude and discipline to stay in their reduced, reducing swim lane as their business is growing. And uh, they end up uh, many times with just mediocre talent around them. And then they complain, they, they kind of witch and moan <laughs> about how no one can do anything around here but me. Well, it, it's because you're overbearing and you don't know how to stay in your swim lane. Right, right. Yep. And I'll tell you what, trial and error in school of hard knocks will teach you that one. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and, yeah, and that's why that's why businesses don't scale. Right, right. Yep. Yep. And if you have a close enough relationship uh, uh, for, for your employees to be able to tell you um, that you have offended them or that you have undermined them, uh, that's when you know that you're beginning to go someplace. Um, and, and, yeah. if, and, if, and if the people just, you know, complain and complain to each other um, and, and uh, things like that, you know, th- there's your dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're very, you're very right. So developing people. Uh, you have 14 employees. 
which yeah. is a, a nice growing business. Um, how do you, what, what do you do to develop your employees? Kind of what are your thoughts on, on their professional development and how, how you play a role in that? Well, so, so from a practical standpoint, some of the things that we've been working on over the last uh, number of years is that, is that we've been, we've been documenting stuff, you know, there's, as, as a, as a company grows, Hmm. you go from where everything is in the owner's head and, you know, you're just telling people stuff, you know, you're able to keep it all in here. Then you need to start writing stuff down. You write down your scopes of work, things like that. So then you develop habits about how things get done every day in the company. But then finally, you got to take those habits habits and you got to document them in writing and say, hey, this is the way that we want it to be done. This is the way that we're doing it. And and mm-hmm. if and if we need to tweak something, you know, that that documentation is never finished a hundred hundred percent, you know, um, you're you're still tweaking things, but you begin documenting it so that you can recreate it. Um, and that is part of the, the the process of growing people so that they know what to do. They know where their end goal is. They know what they're responsible for. If there is a reason for a particular way that something needs to get done in a certain way, you document it so that they know. And if there are, if there's three right ways to do something and they're all about equally efficient, and they all achieve the same quality control end result. One guy happens to do it one way, the other does it another way. Maybe that's okay, especially in the world of carpentry, the guys in the field and and, and maybe even drawing uh, on in the design. And on the other hand, there's other things within a company that are non-negotiables and you got to do them the same single way every time. Um, and so it depends on what type of company you're in. Um, but but those are, those are some of the steps that we've taken um, to, to at least begin uh, this part of this discussion here. Sure. And are, are there professional certifications that some of your staff could go get that if you help pay for that, that would really be of benefit to them? Yeah. So actually, there's several different things that we've implemented uh, over the last several years. Number one, we do have a profit sharing program, and maybe we'll talk about that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, uh, instituted a uh, education reimbursement program. Uh, okay. And so, um, and so, you know, our whole goal is to have some skin in the game here. So we have a couple of requirements with it. Um, one is that, is that the, uh, the employees are responsible for applying um, for scholarships um, if they are to receive the, the education reimbursement. They don't need to win a scholarship, but they need to apply for a scholarship. They need to do some uh, research on their own. They're also responsible for paying for part of their schooling cost. Uh, the company will pay half of it. The employee pays half of it. And then upon successful completion, the company will reimburse them for the other half. So we want them to have some skin Ooh. in the game here. Uh, I like but, that. But, we, but we definitely are willing to help with uh, the cash flow end of it as well and make a substantial mm-hmm. investment. And, and then uh, another part of that then is, is about what type of degree uh, is, is it going to be for. Right now, we're generally paying for like certifications for associates degrees uh, and for a bachelor's degree. Right now, I don't need licensed architects in in Wisconsin here for what we do. So I'm not paying for a master's degree, um, not paying for that type of thing. We're putting the money where it is most needed. And then we got the continuing education stuff, things like NARI and NHB for those certifications that you named off about me earlier too. And my employees have numerous ones of those that are very helpful too. Good. You know, professional growth is one of the ways that you retain top talent. Uh, I, I, I know you know this, but uh, professional growth, uh, most talent doesn't want to leave a business unless they really have to. So once you have good talent on your staff, just by helping them grow professionally, and really if you can figure out how, you know, if if, if you were to approach, uh, especially today's generations, and say, how do, how do we help you be a better you? Uh, you might have them for a lot longer as in your company uh, than what you might otherwise have, simply because people do often move jobs, not just for pay, but for opportunity to grow professionally. And Absolutely. so carving out a, a, a career path or a, a growth path for people can be very very helpful to them and very helpful to you as the owner. 
so you just reminded me of of what I didn't touch on yet. Um, so we we created our carpentry skills progression, uh, and then we created a lead carpenter progression. And there are two things that work in parallel. So the carpentry skills, um, as the name implies, is about the skills. It's about it's about what you know how to build. But the lead carpenter progression is about the management and the types of projects that they're capable of managing. The number mm. of people, the number, the level of difficulty of the project, um, the number of trades and the size of the project, whether they're responsible for projects that are 50 and, and $100,000 or whether they're responsible for projects that are three hundred, five hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000, things like that. And so the two things work in parallel because we came, we came to this conclusion about five years ago go um, mm-hmm. when I hired uh, hired someone who was um, you know an adult about the same age as me moving into his second career had very little carpentry experience but he was he was a manager he was a people person he knew how to think we had to teach him carpentry from the ground up um, and he has moved very quickly through that but he had leadership skills and so mm-hmm. um, he was able to jump very quickly and earn responsibility in and certain types of jobs that once he had learned the carpentry skills here, he already had the management skills to run the job, put the schedule together, manage all the subcontractors, talk to the homeowners and work with the, the, the carpenters that he was supervising. And so, yeah. so it, it gives these two things, you ratchet it up, you take, you take how much you're making here, and then you take the premium wage for this, you add them together and boom, you get this. And this is those two levels of growth that go together both ways. Now the design yeah. department, is a little more amorphous because those design skills, you know, it's a little harder to judge, but we work those things in parallel and we say, how is this person and that person similar to make sure that we're compensating fairly across departments? You know, that's, that's a, that is a great, great, um, great illustration of professional development. It reminds me of a, of an undeniable truth I have about business. And that truth is you hire character and you train skill. Right. So you had a guy who had some inherent leadership skills, the inherent character to be a leader and to run your jobs. He just needed to actually know technically what was going on on the job Uh, so he could be a better leader. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. I want to I want to go back. Uh, You have a profit sharing program. So, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll share with you what we do. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then I'd like to just kind of hear how you do it. And those who own businesses, uh, you may just want to take a listen to both of these models and, and see what you think. Um, we take, we like to do, uh, usually 15% of the free cash flows generated in a quarter or, uh, a, um, a have a semi-annual or an annual base, some period of time. And it's not year over year, quarter over quarter growth. It's just here are the free cash flows. Now, the reason we do free cash flows instead of top line revenue or gross margin is because we want to actually have the cash to pay the bonus. We don't ever want to have a a situation where we have to go out and borrow to pay the bonus, right? So uh, if there's no free cash flows in a given time period, then there's no bonus, uh, and and so it's it's a hundred percent variable expense for us, but that's and and then we pay it out. Uh, we take we we divide the number of hours everybody worked as a single pool, and then we divide that into those hours and say, okay, everybody who worked, you know, they get eight cents an hour, or they get twelve cents an hour. And so those who worked more get a larger share of that bonus. Those who are full-time, we calculated at 40 hours a week. And those who are part-time get less of the bonus. But everybody participates. So that's kind of how we do a profit-sharing program. How do you do do your profit-sharing program? Well, we have parameters in place again. So it's it, it, ours is based on on profitability, um, and so but we do have parameters in place because yeah, we're we're absolutely if we if we deem not to have the cash flow, uh, we we will not pay it or we will defer it um, until we can pay it. Okay. Um, so so you know it, because. At, in the state that my um, company is in, the 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 
profitability and the cash flow generally are still pretty closely related. We don't have huge capital investments on the balance sheet that can impact cash flow, um, you know, in a way that will distort free cash from, uh, from how the profits align with it. That that's most of the time. Right. Um, so, so ours is aligned to, uh, to, to margins and revenues. Um, we, uh, uh, Ours, ours is related to um, to wages and earnings, and so it is divvied up um, according to the wages and earnings uh, within the company because we have deemed that that largely with the 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 way that. Um, that wages and salaries are within our company. Number one, you work more hours. If you're if you're a wage earner and you work more hours, you're right. going to have a higher level of compensation. But also that that um, the profitability of the company as a whole uh, the, it, it, right now right now for us is largely is a lot directional stuff so that those of us who are making the higher level decisions um, are generally the ones who are um, who are uh, impacting the profits greatest but the fact is it also comes down in the end to the carpenters in the field um, who who are who are in the end the producers um, and those lead carpenters are well compensated. We have a bottom line, we have a very generous profit sharing program. Um, and there's a lot of money going out the door, getting spread uh, among all of us. And frankly, one of the secrets to that is that as our company has grown, we've managed to do so. We've grown our company this much, but our overhead has only grown this much. And while we try to keep operating on the same uh, selling margins, therefore we have more money falling into profitability at the bottom line as we yeah. have grown our revenue. It's, it is a scale thing for sure. Yeah, and it, and it's an art to scale your opex, your operation expenses, your overhead expenses, to set them up in such a way that they can scale into more and more sales and more and more revenue, more transactions, as it were, without a commensurate rise in the opex. It's it's there's really an art there, and maybe some other time we can talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know exactly what the secret is. Um, I know what we're trying to do. I, I, I don't, I, I'm certainly not ready to write a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever want to write a book, I know a guy who knows how to write books. So right, um, right. Hey, today we're talking with Abe Degnan, the president and the owner of Degnan Design, Build and Remodel out of DeForest, Wisconsin, which is right near uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, he's in the remodeling and the construction business. And so, Abe, I'd like to just move now along um, and just kind of ask you more of a broad, general question. If you were standing in front of a group of 100 Christian business owners, what would be the top two or three pieces of advice you want to give them, whether it's about generating profits or whether it's about uh, developing their people or philanthropy or even uh, maybe building a, a, a panel of trusted advisors that they, that they could work with or maybe about how much do you share with your spouse, right, about the business? That's, that's a worthy conversation. So... Uh, what would be two or three things that a uh, pieces of advice that that you would give them? Well, let's see here. Um, I think it would probably circle around being real, being consistent, um, uh, and 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 be consistent and integrity go together. Being real means that you that you uh, that you're not just all cheerful all the time, uh, but but there's a parallel to that, which is be a cheerleader. Um, and so, so you need to be, you need to be positive. You need it, but, Mm -hmm. but you can't be positive and be fake at the same time. You need to be positive and be real. Um, because if you're, if you're just, if you're all up all the time and there's never anything that is difficult for you and, you know, and, and, and you don't share any little bits of difficulty in your life, you're not real, you're not vulnerable and you're not going to build trust because no one is going to be able to connect to you and learn from you. So, so, but, but you really have to be the positive cheerleader within your company. You have to be the happy guy and you have to be consistent. You have to be full of integrity um, while not, Mm -hmm. and and you need to, and you need to share the right things at the right time, even the difficult things. 
Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that spouse question, I, I just I yeah. came to my head and I threw it out there. How much, your spouse is Lisa, right? Yes. Uh-huh. She looks like a delightful person in the photos on your website. Yep. Um, how much do you share with her about the business? You know, so it's interesting because she's not she's not in the business. She never has been. Um, she was a nurse uh, when we when we got married, and uh, and she's been a, a stay at home mom for the last uh, um, nineteen years and uh, eleven months or so, and um, <laughs> and so. Um, uh, people ask, you know, people, people tend to assume with a construction business that your wife does something in the business and, and she doesn't, um, her, her, you know, I, I'm second generation from my father. My mom didn't do anything in the business. Um, Lisa's dad was, uh, a commercial contractor, um, and, uh, and his wife, my mother-in-law, Lisa's mom, um, was part of that business. And there's both things that bring challenges and, and, um, and in the end, if you have someone who's going to be in the business with you, you need to have them in the business because they're the right person, not just because they're yes. your spouse. And so what is that role that they're going to fulfill? You don't just throw someone into the bookkeeping and marketing position just because that's what you need done unless they're actually good at it. You don't make someone in charge of your marketing unless they actually want to do it. So Lisa and I... Um, have had, we've had ups and downs within our marriage and we've had, um, and we've had ups and downs within our business. Um, and so there are times that, that I share very little. There have been times where I um, have failed to be the cheerleader um, for my company uh, or to be the leader for my family. And, um, and, and, um, and, you know, maybe not even a very good dad some of the time, too. Um, but but you, you figure that out. You get over your own baggage. You go out and get the, the counseling and the therapy that you need in order to figure out how that how then you can turn it around and lead your family, lead your company. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so so um, how much do Lisa and I share about the company now? Um, at, at this point now, we're in a position where when I have strategic um, challenges, and I and and I have um, issues where I need to make a decision. I have a leadership team. There's two other people in my company um, that that uh, we we meet weekly over lunch, um, and sometimes we just talk. Uh, but most of the times we talk about specific business issues that we need to make decisions on. Um, some of that I also do with my wife, um, and and some of that you know is some things she doesn't have a lot of interest in. Um, she's got other things yeah. going on. She's she is um, a mom of six kids um, and and um, there is trauma history in our family because of the um, the adoption and uh, and 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 um, as much as we know we've done God's work and we've done the right thing we've done the right thing in every way that affects um, our biological kids and and everything as well so it, it but it has grown us it has grown me and Lisa it's grown our marriage it's grown our faith in Christ and it's grown grown our, our two biological kids and our first three kids uh, mm -hmm. when we did this international adoption of the three uh, the three older kids um, and and doubled our doubled our family you know so you got a, you got a lot of complexities there you got a lot of layers <laughs> there the thing is bill as I learned things in business they applied to my family and as I learned things, um, for my family, they apply to my business. So mm. you got to start somewhere. If you, if, if, if you're a business owner who is stuck and you are stuck with your employees or you are stuck with your marriage, you got to figure out where you're going to start to get unstuck. Pick one thing, go to, go get some sales training, join a peer group, um, uh, go to marriage counseling, go to individual counseling, go start exercising, find a, find a, a holistic practitioner who's going to work with your mind and body connection so that you start thinking differently than you do right now. If you're stuck, you got to do something to get unstuck. And, and that is the biggest thing that my wife and I have learned over the last several years um, in, in the 
the adoption pro process, in the marriage counseling, and the parenting. Um, and but some of that goes back. Some of that goes back to a mindset change that I had when I got some awesome sales training ten years ago. Sure. Sure. I remember uh, in graduate school, I have an MA in counseling psychology. I remember that uh, that one of my professors advocated if you needed to learn how to parent, just go uh, get dog training, learn how to train a dog. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that was, hmm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if, that's, if, if that's where you want to go. Uh, well, we have been talking with Abe Degnan of Degnan uh, Build, Design, and Remodel out of DeForest, Wisconsin, which is near Madison. Abe, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, either for professional services or, or just personally, how can they get a hold of you? Well, uh, if you want to reach out to me, let's see, um, the best way is on our website at uh, DegnanDesignBuildRemodel.com. Uh, go to our people, go to my biography, and there is a spot right on my biography where you can book, book a video meeting with me or if you're local to the area here um, and you want to get together for coffee or lunch, it is right there. You can click and you can book a meeting with me and I'll meet you where we decide. So, uh, But you can get that video meeting with me at anytime. And, uh, and that is the best way for us to connect. And so how, what is the geographic range that you'll work in for, for remodeling services? We're mainly within the Dane County area here. We, uh, we try to be within 30 minutes of one of where one of my lead carpenters lives and within 45 minutes of our office here. And we found that to give us a great balance as we've got lead carpenters in different spots around the county. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, listen, uh, we need to wrap up today. Abe, I'm so grateful that you joined us today. Uh, it's really been um, a pleasure to, to speak with you. And uh, you're very articulate. And uh, I think you're very interesting. And so I'm, I'm glad that we've met and, and that we've had this chance together today. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for being on Faith Radio. And thanks for doing this stuff. Oh, you're welcome. So this uh, this Bible and Business episode, Profiles and Stewardship with Abe Degnan, uh, Degnan Design, Build, and Remodel out of DeForest, Wisconsin, which is near Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, this video will be uh, available on Facebook and LinkedIn and um, uh, YouTube uh, as, soon, as soon as we're done. Ironically, nobody texted the book, the word book to the number. So I guess I'll save those copies and give them away next time uh, when we interview again. Uh, we have several more interviews uh, getting scheduled right now. So I hope that you'll join us the next time uh, that we have a live restream. This is our restream is, is, is the platform we use anyways, but a live stream, a live broadcast of a profile in stewardship. So until we, uh, until we meet again, thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm Bill English, the publisher here at Bible and Business, and I hope you go out and make it a great day. Take care. Thank you for joining Bill and Abe today. I hope you found their conversation to be helpful to you as you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to talk with Bill, just email him at bill at bibleandbusiness.com. I think you'll find my dad will be helpful to you in your situation. And I hope you'll join my dad again for another Bible and Business Profiles and Stewardship podcast. So until then, please go out and make it a great day. God bless.